0: Good evening, and welcome to Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. I'm Dalinda Scholz, and in the studio today with me, I have Dr. Hammond. He's the father of four amazing kids, founder of Frontline Fellowship, and author of over 40 books, and also the one who started Africa Christian Action just over 30 years ago. Today, we will be talking about the fight for life when it comes to abortion. Abortion is a hard subject because so many opinions exist built on people's convictions, upbringing, and education. We as a society have fallen into a war of different worldviews and some harshly condemn the Christian worldview for various reasons we can look at a bit later in our discussion. When it comes to someone's why or why they think it is okay to have an abortion, it can be hard to discuss a viewpoint viewpoint on a moral issue and the fact so many deny that life starts at conception, or why life is sacred. Because of course, everybody is born with a free will, as God proved in the Garden of Eden, and with that it proves man's ability to choose between good and evil. Dr Hammond, could you tell us a bit about some of the books you have written and the history of how abortion became legal in South Africa?
1: Yes, certainly. Well, you know, my wife and I were pregnant with the first child, Andrea, not that we had a name yet, and uh, we were surprised to see an advert at a church nearby for a uh, right to abortion meeting with Dr. Marge Dyer, uh, who's known Ali's uh, at that time as Dr. Death because she did illegal abortions. And she is the head of the Abortion Rights Action Group. So at a local church in the area, can you believe it, uh, there was this Abortion Rights Action Group meeting in their church hall. So my wife, pretty pregnant at the time, and I go along to hear this meeting and long sob stories about these poor people whose lives were ruined because while they were studying they were pregnant and they, you know, this baby came along and just for no reason and ruined their whole life and and so on. And at this meeting, there was one woman who stood up and she said, Twenty-one years ago, I wanted to have an abortion, and the laws in this country wouldn't let me have an abortion. And here's my daughter sitting next to me. And then she said, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't regret that I didn't have that abortion and a daughter sitting next to us is nodding her head. And we thought, have we fallen down the rabbit hole? I mean, this is like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. And the people were all talking about, you know, how important it is to be able to kill babies legally. And uh, you can imagine, shortly after that, we launched Africa Christian Action, because we saw plainly the politicians in this country were moving towards what they called liberalizing the abortion laws. In other words, legalizing abortion. And as a missionary who's been dedicated to fulfilling a Great Commission and mobilizing Christians for my country, especially to res- resistant uh, access areas, um, restricted access areas where Christians are being persecuted. Uh, and I was concerned that our missionary support base is being eroded and undermined. And this is terrible. How could South Africa, a country that was known to have such strong Christian stance, be considering abortion? And so we... Uh, saw the need to launch Africa Christian Action, which first was called Salt Shakers. And uh, in fact, ACA was born the same week that my daughter Andrea was. So Andrea is now 30 years old. Africa Christian Action celebrated 30 years. My daughter Andrea has got three children, so we've got three grandchildren too. And ACA has birthed even more ministries out of it. But amongst the first of the projects was the Life Chain. And my daughter Andrea was actually in my backpack uh, as I was handing out literature at Main Road in Newlands for the first life Chain back in 1992 already. And we were involved in Stands for Life, Marches for Life, and we've been importing the precious feet lapel pins and making pro-life stickers and posters and designing books. And in fact, one of the first books we ever produced was Fight for Life, a pro-life handbook for Southern Africa. And then we also produced The Make a Difference, a Christian Action Handbook for Southern Africa, and Renaissance or Reformation because we had a president at... Uh, one time, who was talking about an African Renaissance. And so we produced the book, South Africa Renaissance or Reformation. And uh, we produced others like Biblical Principles for Africa and uh, uh, different books dealing with biblical economics and reforming our families. And so uh, these are just some of the books relating to Christian action. But as a missionary, I've also written books like The Greatest Century of Missions and The Great Commission Manual and Handbook and so on.
0: That's amazing. Dr. Hammond, of course you are pro-life and would say under under no circumstances should an innocent human life be taken. For some people, they have arguments that there are certain circumstances that it would be um acceptable. What would you respond to those agree, uh, arguments.
1: Right. Well, of course, hard cases make bad laws. You're not meant to build your laws on exceptions anyway. But take, for example, Poland. Now, I've been ministering in Poland for a long time. And uh, Poland, when the Iron Curtain came down, the communist government was ousted and freedom came to Poland. Poland, which was a very strongly pro-life country, banned abortion. Abortion was legal during the communist years, but it was now banned. And they put in two hard cases that you couldn't have abortions except in these two cases, in a case of the mother's life being at risk or in a case of rape or incest. And so in those two cases, they would allow an abortion, according to the statute books. Well, I've been to Poland many times since, and uh, I was informed 15 years after the law had gone through on my last visit to Poland that there was yet to be a single abortion performed legally in in Poland since uh, they had banned it because... Those hard cases apparently are so small that it hasn't occurred yet in Poland uh, in all that time, in a decade and a half. So uh, obviously people often use these hard cases as a justification, but you get Dr. Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General of the United States in the days of Ronald Reagan. He wrote a lot of books on on, uh, the rights of life and the sanctity of life. And he said, as a medical doctor specializing in pediatrics, He had yet to come across a single case where abortion was necessary to save a mother's life. And he said as a professional doctor, his task is always to care for his patient. In the case of a pregnant woman, he's got two patients to care for. And obviously you don't choose to kill one. You choose to save the life of both. Sometimes you are unable to save the life of both. But that's not an abortion. That's just you're trying to save both lives and sometimes a doctor fails. But he said the idea that it's ever a possibility or even a necessity to kill one in order to save another patient. He said that's just not a kind of decision that any medical doctor can possibly take. In fact, the oath a doctor must take is I will do no harm to any patient and I'll give no woman any abortifacent. And this for not just uh, centuries, but for millenniums, doctors have recited as as an oath of of their duty. So uh, life begins at conception and abortion is murder. And so it doesn't matter what the exception is that you may say, but the baby doesn't choose to die. And so it's not never right to kill an innocent. And so, for example, in some of these extremely hard cases, take, for example, rape, which it's rare to have a person conceive under the circumstance of rape. But the rapist is the one who deserves to die in terms of biblical law, not the baby. And so uh, some people have said that the... Uh, trauma of going through the abortion uh, lived to them a lot longer and turned the person from a victim into uh, one who now had guilt. And so um, I've met people who are the products of rape, and you look at them and you think, why would this person not have the right to live? And it's not not, uh, justifiable to justify killing the innocent ever. In fact, we read in Ezekiel that the son should never die for the sins of the father. And so the the biblical principle is there. We may suffer consequences of our uh, parents' guilt. For example, if a parent's got a disease, they may pass it on to their children. Uh, You may go bankrupt because of bad choice you made or gambling, and it affects the family. But while we may be affected by the sins of the parents, there is no guilt in a judicial sense. So that the scripture makes it quite clear that that, uh, a child shall not die for the sins of the parent. And so this is plainly what people are saying to justify whatever, and to make our life more convenient. And because this baby is coming at an awkward time, people come up with all kinds of terms like how to dehumanize the baby. Instead of speaking about the baby, they speak about the product of conception or the POC. And instead of speaking about abortion, they call it termination of pregnancy or removal of the tissue. And honestly, anyone who's seen the picture of what a preborn baby looks like, there's no way you say, oh, that's just a product of, uh, it's just a t- tissue. It's, it's, it's nonsense. This isn't like an ulcer or um, some appendicitis that's got to be removed. And so depersonalizing the baby, not speaking about the baby, but speaking about it and uh, uh, dehumanizing them is part of the problem. And then trying to use a euphemism for killing. And we really shouldn't let people do that. The other thing is you have these people saying, I'm not ready to be a mother. Well, if you've got a baby, you already are a mother. The, the question isn't, uh, are you ready to be a mother? It's, it's, do you want to be the mother of a dead baby or a live one? And if a person says, I don't think it's right to bring a child into the world in the states it's in. Well, a child's already in the world. Um, you are in the world. Your womb's in the world. Therefore, how on earth can you say the baby's not in the world? And my body, my choice. I've got the right to do what I want with my own body. Well... Can you have two hearts, uh, four eyes, uh, four ears, um, uh, 20 toes, (laughs) 20 hands, uh, different blood type maybe, different sex? I mean, can we be male and female at the same time? Some people might want to say so. But realistically now, uh, the baby isn't one's own body. The baby is a distinct and unique individual. Uh, And therefore, it's so important for us to just get people to look at things biblically, logically, medically. Life begins at conception. I mean, that's just a fact.
0: Recently there's been headlines that Texas in Texas abortion is now illegal. If all Chris, if all Christians boldly st- started taking a stand for life and abortion was completely abolished not only in South Africa but around the around the world what would you say would be the impact of that?
1: It would be tremendous because just look for example already there's tremendous problems coming in countries like China and in Europe, where the birth rate is way down, where it's only about 1.1 per married couple. And uh, you think of how you cannot be fruitful multiply. You cannot even maintain your, your level of um, of population unless you have at least 2.2, or ideally 2.4 uh, children born to each uh, couple. And therefore, uh, when you've got 1.1, which is the average now in Europe, uh, it means you're in Decline, in serious decline, that very soon there's going to be more old people on pension and people working and paying uh, uh, salaries and and, uh, uh, taxes and so on. So the the whole situation is uh, disastrous and catastrophic. And just think how many heart surgeons have been uh, and potential artists and nurses and uh, people in so many different spheres that are being aborted. And so we don't know how we're impoverishing the future. And we are weakening our whole society economically, spiritually, and, of course, bring the curse of God upon a society. The Bible is clear in the book of Numbers that when innocent blood is shed, a curse comes on land. And no sacrifice can take away the curse of innocent blood except the blood of the one who shed it. And this just shows the value of human life, that you're meant to protect life. And therefore, that's why uh, the scripture is clear about capital punishment for murder and uh, that people should not have contempt for the right to lives of others or they forfeit their own right to life. And it's a serious thing when a society can kill babies. And so what the Texas law has done is quite wonderful because it said where a heartbeat can be detected, the baby must be protected uh, from abortion. And, well, medically speaking, you can detect a baby's heartbeat from about three weeks. After conception, and the brainwave can be measured from six weeks after conception, and at nine weeks after conception, a baby's fingerprints are formed, and all the organs are there. So, yeah, really and truly, uh, what you're reminding people of is the fact that every abortion stops a beating heart.
0: Dr. Hammond, as someone who is very passionate about pro-life and very knowledgeable on the subject, have you always been pro-life?
1: No, I can't say I was at all. I was brought up in a very secular family. We didn't go to church. We didn't pray over meals. We didn't read the Bible. I mean, I was brought up in a a secular family. We never went to church or anything like that. And uh, I was first confronted with the gospel at age seventeen. I came from Rhodesia, came to Cape Town, and bumped into Christians everywhere. And walked into cinema on a Sunday and got hit with the gospel. And I was converted and called into missions and. But that didn't mean that all of my ways of thinking had changed because I still had a secular humanist mind even while my heart was now regenerate and I was loving the Lord and getting involved. But, for example, I argued uh, with who's now my wife, Lenora, when I first met her. uh, She asked, so what's the abortion laws in South Africa? I mean, we'd met not even an hour before. Uh, I remember clearly driving in Kimberley and saying, oh, well, abortion is illegal in South Africa. And she said, really? I thought that you had abortion legal in five hard cases. And I said, yes, well, but I mean, you know, that's only right. And she turned and looked at me and said, well, that's not a very pro-life position. Uh, How can you justify that? And I floundered around trying to justify because I had this mindset that because it was law, the government knows best. And if they've got these exceptions, then that must be acceptable. And I was, here I was, a, a Christian in missions, Uh, who would have spoken out against abortion, but had no problem defending the five hard cases, which South Africa had said, oh, yes, well, in the case of this, this and this, you can have abortions. And I didn't know what I was talking about. And so uh, my future fiancé and wife-to-be, Lenora, actually challenged me about that. And I was actually quite negative towards the idea of even having children, even when I got married. And... So, of course, studying of the scriptures, having our minds transformed by the renewing of our mind, we've all got a lot of growth to do. And uh, that was one area I had to grow because I saw babies as a burden. I didn't see them as a blessing. But in the Bible, throughout the Bible, I mean, you see, especially in the book of Psalms and all of babies are a blessing, children are a blessing, they're a gift from the Lord, and they shouldn't be despised. And somehow or another, because of some bad teaching I'd accumulated as a brand-new Christian, we're living in last days. We're living in last hours. Uh, rapture's coming any moment and Satan's alive and well and plant earth and there's a new world coming. And uh, Some or another, I uh, devalued the importance of families and children and raising the next generation. I, I just saw my job as snatching a few souls from the fire before we um, have everything burned to pieces by the Antichrist. And I had a very short-term vision. I wasn't looking long-term. And so it was very important <laughs> back in 1988 and 89 when I got married – To uh, I first met Laura in 1988, in 1989 we were married, and uh, that my whole outlook had changed. By the end of 1989, I was fully pro-life, pro-family, pro-babies, and my life was transformed forever.
0: Sure, that's quite the testimony. And how did the Lord work in your heart in this area that led to the birthing of ACA? Um, what was your initial vision for the ministry of ACA?
1: Well, from the day I was converted, 3rd of April, 1977, I knew I was called to missions, which is strange because I'd never met a missionary and I'd brought up in a secular family, so what do I know about missionaries? But uh, the idea that I could have gone through my life, okay, I was only 17, but to me, that was my whole life, without having heard the gospel, without having comprehended this and not having known the reality of God. And, you know, I, I knew that Jesus had died, but I had no idea He's still alive today and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and that you could actually have communication with him. And and this idea of a relationship with God through Christ was was so revolutionary. And so I realized I must spend the rest of my life proclaiming the gospel, distributing Bibles and Christian books, reaching people with the gospel. And uh, so I was very focused on the Great Commission. But each time I went across the border and I came back, after several months away, I, I'd, I'd be shocked by the fact that standards in South Africa deteriorated on different ways. Things that had never been allowed before were coming in. Moral standards were slipping uh, in time. You know, could see there was a lot of pressure on South Africa. Even uh, in um, 1991, when Andrea was born, there was... Uh, starting to have shops open on Sundays, and we were even talking about having cinemas open, which happened in 1992. And you could just see so many deteriorations that our stands. tents and prayer meetings and Bible studies were going. Just to give an example, when I was converted in 1977, virtually the entire um, male uh, membership of uh, our congregation was in the Bible study and prayer meeting every Tuesday night. And on Thursday nights, a large number of the church were involved in door-to-door evangelism uh, with EE and uh, uh, Evangelism Explosion, doing door-to-door sharing the gospel. Well, just a year later, the men's meeting was suspended because it interfered with Rich Man, Poor Man, a TV program. A TV had just been introduced in South Africa a year before. And next thing we know that the Thursday Night Evangelistic program of EE, where we were putting a gospel of John in every household in our suburb and going in and sharing the gospel personally— that was suspended because that clashed with the World at War, another TV series. And I just saw the moral standards, the spiritual standards, the evangelistic zeal, the missionary vision of the church plummet within just a few years of my conversion. And I was horrified thinking, what's happening to South Africa? And great things were happening in my time in national service and military, sharing the gospel, having Bible studies and prayer meetings every night. And when I came back for my two years in military, Back to my home church, was like, you know, prayer, what's that? And, you know, evangelism, daughter, has that even stopped having these uh, regular evangelistic outreaches in the local cinema, which had been a regular a feature of, of life at, at that congregation? And I just saw there's something really wrong here. And so the, the need to crea- create, to launch Africa Christian Action as a ministry to tackle pro-life issues, pro-family issues, moral issues, to fight against pornography, to fight against attacks on the family, to uh, make a stand for the right to life and to call people back to applying the Lordship of Christ in all areas of life. I think it was a natural uh, flowing out of the concern for the Great Commission because we saw the missionary sending base of South Africa being corrupted and undermined. And so ACA uh, was launched very much as a counter to try and wake up Christians in South Africa to where this is going and uh, from how far we've fallen.
0: Now, regarding the ministry of ACA, a preacher asked me if it involves more social political issues or how we are advancing the kingdom through his minis- through this ministry on winning souls for for Christ.
1: Everything African Christian Action does is evangelistic. Praise, the foundation, Bible study, and prayer are the rock solid foundations. And from there, every protest we do, every march, every stand for life, evangelistic literature is being distributed, we proclaiming the Lordship of Christ. The banners include scripture verses. We don't only <laughs> to use as, as though to demean the importance of speaking up for the rights of life of preborn babies. I mean, the Bible says, "Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will make a stand for me against the workers of iniquity? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them." We are told to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Uh, we're told to rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. So there's enough Bible verses, loving your neighbor, do to others you want to mm-hmm. be done unto. Uh, go thou and do likewise, like Good Samaritan. Uh, so you would think, well, that's good enough right there. But we don't stop there. It's always in an evangelistic context. And so many people who might be resistant to you sharing the gospel with them, they are interested in this where we are dealing with a so-called socio-political issue like the right to life of pre-born babies, which, of course, is directly connected with laws and directly connected with taxpayers' money being used for uh, this procedure which deprives babies of their lives. And so, yes, there's a socio-political dimension. Some people get interested in that, and through it, they're like, oh, the Bible speaks to all areas of life. And there is not a single outreach event, uh, protest, march, a stand that we take, radio program, TV programs, wherever we've been, or even when we call to Parliament where we don't present the scriptures and challenge people with the gospel claims of Christ. So whether we've been invited to Parliament to give our submissions to the Constitutional Committee on Health uh, Matters or whichever issues is a publication's control under Home Affairs, we not only present the facts, we present the scriptures and we confront people with the uh, calls of Christ and the uh, commands of the bible to repent and to uh how many times do we hear the verse proclaimed for example if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways then will I hear from heaven i will forgive this sin and I will heal their land and so 2 chronicles 714 has been a major theme verse so i don't think a person will find any of our literature any of our programs any of our interviews with it's on national TV, or whether it's a submission to pond that doesn't include the Scripture. Front and center, foundational, and uh, uh, we've, we've, by God's grace, had the privilege of leading people to Christ across the board, even in Parliament. And so, uh, if some people think that this is somehow uh, not a very evangelistic thing because it haps, happens to have some political overtones, well, bear in mind, everything ultimately is political, in the sense that the politicians can tell you just about anything. And if you are not interested in political affairs, the price of apathy in politics is to be ruled by evil people, Plato said over 2,400 years ago. And the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And so if we are not being salt and light in society, don't be surprised if darkness and corruption comes.
0: In the last 30 years, what did you learn from the ministry of ACA? And how effective is the fruit in this ministry when it comes to the salvation of many?
1: We've learned a lot. The people that we learn in the streets, we first we don't win people in the streets who haven't first been won on our knees in prayer. We must know the scripture. We must have our minds renewed by the washing of the word of God. And so uh, we've learned it's spiritual warfare. We need to put on the full armor of God. It's so important to be calling the church to action uh, and uh, in many cases, I think the balance is it's body, mind, and spirit. It's head, heart, and hands. Uh, we, Unfortunately, some people, they only have their Christian faith in their heart, but it doesn't seem to affect their mind too much. Others, it's all in the head, and it doesn't affect their heart. Some, it might be in the head and the heart, but is it in the hands or the feet? Are there feet on the street, boots on the ground? Putting feet to your faith is a major emphasis. So I think we're trying to be balanced Christians, Body, mind, spirit, and we don't just focus on exposing the bad. We love to promote the good. And so a major part of African Christian action is promoting biblical worldview summits, which applies the Lordship Christ to all areas of life. A lot of things are, are positive, looking at our history and inspiring people with examples of excellence. So in so many ways, as you can see, it's, it's not just a demonstration against something that's evil, it's making a stand for life. It's making a stand for what's positive calling people back to the family.
0: Absolutely. Now, it is easy to win an argument and lose a person when it comes to relationships. How can we as Christians minister to the hurting without pushing them away from God?
1: Yes, and praise God for the sidewalk counseling ministries outside abortion clinics and uh, the unwed mothers' homes and uh, the uh, people involved in adoption ministries. In fact, one of the previous African Christian Action coordinator is Miriam Kane. She's a nursing sister. She now is running SA Cares for Life and Adoption Ministry and Caring for AIDS Babies. And there you can see so often there's the heart. All of our people involved in Afro-Christian action be involved in missions and ministries and outreaches. And uh, this is the point. We have to speak out against what's evil, but we love to preach and teach the gospel and teach the Bible and be involved loving our neighbor.
0: Is there any testimonies in your life you would like to share with the listeners of God's redemption, either in your own life or of someone that mightily impacted you?
1: Yes, I should say, for example, that my mother, uh, being a nursing sister, had access to thalidomide tablets, which back in the 1950s was uh, um, anti-nausea medicine. And so for uh, pregnant mothers taking thalidomide, it was super effective wonder drug uh, protect them from nausea. And a uh, horror of horrors as babies were being born from mothers who'd been taking thalidomide. They have been born horribly deformed, missing arms, legs, and so on. My mother was taking thalidomide. She was advised to have an abortion with me. And by God's grace, she did not. And uh, it just reminds one again that medical science can be wrong. There's power in prayer. God changes lives. And I mentioned this at a debate with Dr. Marge Dyer once at Stellenbosch University. And she Beamed with the biggest smile across her face, only time I ever saw a smile. And she said loud enough for everyone to hear, What a pity your mother didn't. And uh, it just shows you what you're dealing with. There's some people, they say they're pro choice, but actually they're pro abortion. But it's by the grace of God that our parents chose life.
0: Sure. That is quite something. <laughs> In closing, are there any resources or events that would benefit the listeners regarding this subject?
1: Yes, on the first Sunday of every October is International Life Chain Sunday, and it's been practiced worldwide since 1987, since 1992 in South Africa, which African Action has been pioneering and coordinating. And so on Sunday, the 3rd of October, please join us outside the Cape Town National Conference Center and the waterfront entrance, Bodecourt Street on a big island, there'll be other Christians make a stand, banners, posters, leave. you can come, we're just reading leaflets, we're holding up banners and posters and flags and make a stand for life. Uh, so visit today. You'll find a lot of great materials, pro-life resources, audios, videos, PowerPoints, tracks you can download in multiple languages. So email info at today, or uh, visit today and look at our event page and see what you can do to mobilize other people to join us at the Life chain.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Hammond. And for all of you that have been listening, may God richly bless you and keep you.